2: Bet the board. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't. It, I don't. It, I never have. Word? And I never will. Yeah, right. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day.
0: You owe me 15 grand, pal. Pay him. Pay that man his money. It's the bet the board podcast.
1: God likes me. He really, really likes me. In the end,
0: I wound up right back where I started. I could still pick winners. And I could still make money for all kinds of people back home. And why mess up a good thing?
1: Here's Pain Insider and Todd Furman.
2: Welcome into the Bet the Board podcast. Super Bowl Spectacular, powered by betonline.ag. It's always bittersweet this time of year. When you see the fruits of your labor, the culmination of all that hard work that goes into the National Football League season come to an end. I'm your fearless leader, Todd Furman, joined, as always, by the man who does the heavy lifting around you, who I'm sure might actually be excited come Sunday about 9 o'clock Eastern. We can burn all his notes, and he can finally sleep more than three hours a night. The one, the only pain insider.
1: Man, my sleep schedule's been dog shit lately. Gotta get that figured out. Hopefully once football season's officially over we can get that straightened out big game big game um, we're gonna break it all down should be fun hopefully we can find another winner
2: <laughs> try and tough stumble games
1: in. this time yeah.
2: of year try and stumble into a winner I mean Payne though, when you talk about your health and everything else I figure like LeBron James what does he pay his health and fitness coach and nutritionist and all that a couple million a year I figure you're in that exact same bucket so you got your sleep therapist you got your personal chef you got your driver you check all those boxes don't you uh,
1: I need a therapist just uh, to deal with you, but well, it's I, a full-time I've, job. I've I'm not gonna a, lie. I've I've I'm getting ready here for the summer, so you know the diet gets back on on track Monday. I've gotten all of the vitamins and uh, the product ordered. Uh, changed up my shampoo. We're going organic shampoo now as we get older. I mean, it's just everything's flowing these days. <laughs>
2: Just the way every podcast listener figured this was going to start. If we were setting props for the Bet the Board podcast, that organic shampoo would be mentioned in the first 100 seconds. So (laughs) if you had that in your prop pool and, more importantly, your Bet the Board prop sheet, which, by the way, hopefully everybody printed out and is making copies by the hundreds at the office today on the company dime to get their folks ready for a Super Bowl party.
1: I think that's the smart way to do it. Definitely do it today and tomorrow. On the company dime, print out how many ever you need for your Super Bowl parties. Uh, it's kind of that that perfect mix of entertainment and skill-based props, so um, the females can join. I, I tested this out. I sent it to a few ladies. Do you understand this? Does this stuff make sense? Could you pick this? And everyone responded, yes, this is easy enough. So we know 45% of the uh, viewers for the Super Bowl are female, so we made it friendly for them as well.
2: Well, trust me, I've seen the way that uh, some guys pick games. They might need the entertainment questions more than anybody. So (laughs) when we look at those contest sheets, of course, you can find those not only on Payne's Twitter feed uh, and my feed as well, but you can go to the website. They're easy to print there. Everything is set up just the way you'd like. Take full advantage of it. It's a fun way to try and enjoy the Super Bowl with your friends, family. Uh, and maybe people that you want to try and beat out of a few bucks. The nice part about it, Payne, is one of our uh, Twitter followers suggested it also doubles as a drinking game. So if you don't feel comfortable with gambling, I mean, just turn the point system into shots or beers and you could be blacked out by the middle of the third quarter.
1: Not really my thing, but I, 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 I'm I, sure there are some that go that route for sure. I'm, I'm more of, uh, you know, the money kind of guy.
2: Under, un- understandably so. And speaking of money, uh, I believe you have another iTunes winner right there and some contest specs to try and get people involved uh, for the big game on Sunday.
1: Yeah, we do. We, uh, we told everyone, get those five-star reviews in. We would announce another winner for the Super Bowl. Um, the iTunes contest winner is Lial. O2 L E E A L O2 is the iTunes contest winner, and I kind of mentioned we'd have something new, something innovative uh, on the social media realm for a contest. So uh, we can announce that now. I think it's something fun for the big game, and and we'll do the social media Super Bowl contest. Three hundred bucks up for grabs. Uh, it's pretty simple. You can have up to three entries, so if you're already on Twitter, you're, you're ahead of that game. Uh, if you don't have a Twitter account, you should sign up for one because you're going to want to enter. All you have to do, and it's it's pretty simple, is retweet the Super Bowl podcast. You can go to my Twitter feed, at Pain Insider. You'll see the Super Bowl tweet pinned at the top of my page. Retweet it. That's one entry. Go to Todd's Twitter page, at Todd Furman. Uh, he'll have the Super Bowl podcast up pinned to the top of his page at some point. Retweet that. That's your second entry. And I think sometime Friday, uh, we'll retweet out the Super Bowl podcast again from at Bet the Board Pods Twitter feed. If you retweet that, that'll give you your max three entries. The cutoff point for the retweets will be the second the ball is kicked off for the Super Bowl. So Monday, Everybody who retweeted the podcast from all three accounts will throw those names into a uh, simulator kind of thing. We'll hit the button. We'll roll some dice, hit the button. How many ever times that comes up? The top three people on that will all win a $100 Visa gift card and the Bet the Board swag pack. But the interesting thing here is, Todd, like I've seen these randomizers work in funny ways. If you have three entries you can find yourself at the top more than once. So get all three entries in there by retweeting the podcast on each of our Twitter feeds. You're in three times um, and we'll we'll have the nice giveaway. Bet the board swag packs with the Visa gift cards $100 each and some shirts and, and pens and all that good stuff.
2: We don't have to worry about like your family members winning all three entries or anything like that, do we?
1: No, 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 no. Okay. None, of, none of them are on Twitter.
2: Just just wanted to check. I mean, when you talk about randomizers that way, I wasn't sure how well that was going to go. But all kidding aside, great contest, great ways to try and enjoy the big game. So uh, take full advantage. Uh, It's our gift, as we always say to you guys, for being some of the best listeners out there, the most loyal. And you guys have helped make us one of the top gambling podcasts in the space. Dave Mason will be with us later in the show as well to talk about all things from behind the counter, the brand manager from betonline.ag. But Payne, you know, we've done enough housekeeping. We, we've done enough introductory stuff. We should, There's probably a football game we should be looking to break down, don't you think?
1: Six minutes in. Finally, we've gotten there. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I figure if we do six minutes of all the housekeeping and intro and administrative shit, we do about 12 minutes to break the game down. This could be the shortest podcast ever if we're in and out in like 22 minutes.
1: Really, I'm just thinking it's, it's, it's one of those things. Just give out the best bet and then go on about my day kind of thing. Let's get the <laughs> hell out of here.
2: I'm not going to give you that luxury. That's not why you pay the big bucks. <laughs> so the number on this game right now, New England, two and a half minus 15 at betonline.ag. Total on the game, 56 and a half. And we'll, of course, get to... All the on-field matchups, quarterbacks, defenses, a lot of the marquee players that can potentially have a big hand in all of it. But Payne, let's start with the number here. We know it's been well chronicled. The Rams opened as a short favorite in most locations. We've seen the Patriots move to a favorite. I'm sure Dave's going to tell us that all the liability in the world is going to New England like it seems to almost every time the Patriots are out there. But what do we make of this number? And can you walk us through a little bit of the thought process from the better's perspective in terms of how the number might have been set until it's ultimately landed where it happened?
1: I, listen, I think the number was set based upon where we expected it to be initially, right? When you looked at the look-ahead line, uh, it's pretty right in line with where things open. Both these teams go out and they win, and and so you come with Rams minus one. That's really kind of where I made this game. Um, I get the aspect of New England dominating the Chiefs. I get the aspect of the experience factor. Brady and Belichick doing this before. Um, and so there was, and I kind of want to position this differently, there was sharp money on New England at plus one. Uh, how big is it? Is it just getting out ahead of the number? Certainly, you know, that makes some sense. Uh, I, I do think we are eventually, and we've seen it, right? Some shops go to three. Three couple shops in Vegas. Flash three doesn't last very long. So I think at three you're going to see professional money on the Rams if we get there. Um, New England is certainly attracting the the public money. Um, and I get the listen, I understand, right? You you want to go to bed at night saying, hey, I went down with Brady and Belichick. I think there's a different aspect to the game just math wise, right? And we talk about it all the time and I know there are people that are, are sick of hearing it. Regardless of what the right side of the game is, if you are now trying to bet the Patriots, uh, you know you've lost about four or five percent of your edge at this point, and you know it's not going to matter every time. It only needs to matter two or three times out of every hundred bets where the number's going to come in play. And you know it's gone through zero. Obviously, it's not as big of a deal. And in the playoffs and the Super Bowl, again, not as big of a deal because games aren't going to end in a tie. If this were a regular season game, you get a fraction more value-taking plus one uh, than you do now. But again, regardless of who wins the game, just from a, a math standpoint, if you're backing New England now, you know, you've lost 4 or 5% of your age.
2: It's always interesting how these numbers ultimately shake out. I'm sure, there's, as we said, there'll be an appetite for the dog if the number gets to three. But a lot of people looking at recency bias playing a major role uh, and how this number opened and obviously where it's come to settle at this point and knowing what sides the books are going to need. So from the number standpoint, Payne, and I, like I said, I mean, we're obviously like, going to about talk this. Ab-
1: These are all tough games, right? Oh, there's no doubt about like, it. This is, this is, and I don't want to like pat ourselves on the back, but you know, we, we, we kind of went back, reevaluated things last week and we said, listen, we don't love anything right now at the time of recording. We made everyone go to the website and it paid off, right? Everyone cashed in with the first half under in the Saints game. But, we, you know, we just said throughout the course of that podcast, listen, these are the four best teams in the NFL. These are four of the best coaches in the NFL. There are going to be a lot of things that we don't know because they're that good game planning, they're that good making adjustments. All these teams are pretty damn equal. And guess what? They both go to overtime. And you are one play away in each game from having Saints Chiefs in this game now. And, and again this week, you have two of the better teams in the NFL with two of the best coaches in the NFL. It's tough to project these games. It's tough to kind of pinpoint, and and I'm being honest here, pinpoint what these guys are going to do because they're so damn good. And even if you pinpoint what they're going to do initially, they're both good enough to make in-game adjustments pretty quickly. It's just a tough game.
2: And it provides the perfect segue to talk about the head coaches uh, before we actually get into what will take place on the field. I mean, we know it's the largest age gap of any head coach in Super Bowl history. 33 years separating Bill Belichick and everything he's done from Sean McVay. Very similar to the 33 years that separate my experience in the industry to what you've been able to accomplish uh, at a young age. Patriots, 36 players with the Super Bowl experience. The Rams have four. 32 players. Difference ties the second largest Super Bowl all time. I was blown away, Pain. Tom Brady will be playing in his ninth Super Bowl. He's only played eight road playoff games during his entire career. But when we look at Bill Belichick, I mean, this is a coach that's now participated in roughly 22% of all Super Bowls played. Just think about that from either a head coach or coordinator standpoint. He's seen it. He's done it. He's been there. Meanwhile, Sean McVay, you sounded the horn from day one and say, hey, this guy is the right hire. He's a coach that's going to revolutionize the game and be able to supply uh, an injection of life into a Rams franchise that stagnated. When you look at these two head coaches, in your opinion, how do you even begin to go about handicapping and maybe giving a slight edge to? It's
1: tough, right? I, I, I'm just so high on McVay. I, I really am. Um, listen, he the Rams in general aren't going to have the edge here in this aspect of the game. I think there are things that have nothing to do with the game that, that do play a little bit of a role. You can tell the Rams are anxious, right? All week they have talked about, hey, let's just get this game started. They're chomping at the bit to play it. And I think that's where the experience factor comes in. When you've been in this big of a game, how do you Handle it mentally, emotionally leading up to the game. How do you handle the press conferences? What are you doing with your time? Um, are the hanger honors around? Do you need another ticket for this guy? My friend came in town. Can you get me another ticket? Like That's all the stuff I think that that plays a role of experience. And we know the Patriots know how to handle that. But I, when it comes to like the game plan, when it comes to all that stuff, I think Sean McVay is going to be equally as good. I mean, you look at last week and just what happened... And why they're in this game, and I I don't want to get into the whole pass interference thing. No, we're not. not, not We don't want to get into that. But I was thoroughly impressed with Jared Goff. I was really impressed with Sean McVay and the adjustments they made in that game to actually put themselves in position to be here. right? Initially in that game, they looked overwhelmed. They couldn't do anything offensively because they couldn't get their goddamn plays in. They couldn't hear anything. Everything that McVay has right, that we talk about, his excellence being implemented in these games, it's the pre-snap stuff. It's the motion. It's the audibles. They couldn't do any of that because they couldn't get their plays in. They're snapping the ball with four or five seconds. He was taken away from the game. Here we are, transition. I know there's going to be a lot of people, but it's not going to be an environment where last week where they couldn't hear each other. And I think that's something that we're going to see on full display here. McVeigh is going to have those opportunities to do things pre-snap that he couldn't do in the last game. Smartly enough, right before the end of the half, he said, hey, we got to go tempo so we can get everything in here so we can go and use our motion. And from that point on, Jared Goff uh, was really, really good.
2: Yeah, I mean, you you could tell that the Rams started to feel more comfortable. The drive that really displayed some of that confidence, the throw he gets in there to Josh Reynolds and the touchdown before the half. Uh, for a game that very easily could have spiraled away from the Rams pretty quickly early on after that Todd Gurley drop that led to a short field for the Saints and spotting them a 13 nothing lead. One comment that I saw interesting on the coaching standpoint before we get into the actual the players. So Bill Belichick this week has asked about Wade Phillips and everything else that comes out. Now, people have made a lot of it, pain, but want your take because you're better reading between the lines than just about anybody. So he says, I've certainly changed a lot in the last 30 years schematically. Wade really hasn't. You've got to give him credit for that. The system has lasted. I mean, really, this is part of his dad's system that has developed and adapted and developed there. I mean, I have a ton of respect for what he's done, how he's done it, every different kind of offense you can see. And I think that's a real credit to what he put together 30 years ago. Some people have taken that as going, all right, Bill knows exactly how to figure this out, and it's him tipping his hand that he's going to get last laugh. What do you take away from comments like that?
1: Um... Listen, I think Belichick's smart enough not to piss off his opponent. So I do think it was some level of praise. When you have New England in the Super Bowl for the ninth time, right? Some of this gets pretty bland covering the same teams and we have two weeks. And so you want to make stories out of nothing. It's obvious, right, that there is this element of a matchup. It's a familiarity, right? They're familiar with one another. Uh, Belichick has won some of those matchups Wade Phillips has won some of those matchups um, you know there's huge dichotomies in, in how these games have, have turned out recently you know Wade's kind of been the better guy right you look from 2015 to 2016 they faced each other three times um, and, and Wade Phillips he's had really good defenses in those meetings he's held Brady to 50% completions the last three times they've played 5.9 yards per pass attempt um, so Ideally, he knows what he wants to do, and the question becomes: Is obviously those were Denver defenses; they were much better than the defense that Wade Phillips has now. This is going to be back and forth. I I don't think I'm I'm not reading too much into this. I'm not taking too much too much away from this game Um, from those comments. I I don't know how much of an impact they're going to have. I really don't. Right? Like, I mean, Wade Phillips isn't losing sleep over this, and I don't think Belichick said it to piss off anybody. I really don't.
2: It's always interesting when you know, you you mentioned it, talking about the level of familiarity these coaches have with one another uh, uh, and what this could mean. I mean, we saw the same matchup 17 years ago that announced the arrival of the Patriots dynasty. Who knows if it all comes full circle. Tom Brady and company hand off the baton to a young head coach uh, and young quarterback. When you look at this Patriots offense, Payne, we know about all we need to know about Tom Brady. All-time leader in Super Bowl completions, touchdowns, yards, 25-yard passes. This is a Patriots offense that scored at least 30 points in 7 out of 8 playoff games. What's interesting about them, they're actually the first team since the 2001 Rams to reach a Super Bowl with a running back leading the team in catches. If you're the Rams and Wade Phillips and you're looking to scheme for Tom Brady, what are some of the biggest things that you're thinking about that you have to go out there and execute aside from the simple, straightforward, obvious, get pressure on Brady and get him off his spot?
1: Yeah, get pressure on Brady him off a spot, right? I mean, I think that's that's the easy stuff, right? It's it's much tougher to do. Um, you know, listen, this Rams defense has transformed. I think that's the biggest thing. They've really made massive strides against the run and pass, and, and a lot of it has to do with, with Talib coming back since week 14 and, and onward. You look at this Rams defense, they've been fantastic. Top seven in both rushing and passing success rate defense. Um, you look at their explosive play defense, they can still be had there. Right, the trend line is still below average but they were some of the league's worst with explosive runs and passes they've been much better um, one thing that I have kind of noticed in digging into this game for too long uh, it's made me a little bit nutty digging into this game but the Rams still struggle a little bit um, with teams that use a fullback and that's the one thing we've, we've outlined with the Patriots and how they've transformed down the stretch they run the ball with a fullback, 21 personnel, 38% of the time. That's the second most in the NFL, uh, behind Shanahan, actually. And I think that's where the matchup in here comes, right? Last week, we said they were going to be doing this. They did. They were able to get out, run the ball on the Chiefs. Finally, the Chiefs defensively made an adjustment just started sticking like big dudes at the line of scrimmage and it helped them stop the run in the second half a little bit. Um, But I think we're going to see a little bit of that here. Um, Listen, you do have some... And you know Shanahan and, and Belichick, they're familiar with one another. I think Belichick's going to look at that film of those two games that the 49ers played against um, the Rams this year and say, hey, 21 personnel seem to work out pretty good here. right?" You look at what the Rams defense did in, in those two games, gave up uh, in the first one 58% rushing success rate in the Week 7 game. Uh, week 17 meeting, 5.8 a carry. So that formation seems to be giving the Rams defense just a little bit of trouble uh, I think the other thing here that that's really interesting is, uh, and I we're kind of going down the radio row path this week, right? It's it, it's about the pressure. Um, I, I think where you have to get it is important. We know Brady doesn't love it up the middle, so it's got to be it's got to be Donald. It's got to be Sue who uh, is playing like he cares now. Let's just let's just put it that way. <laughs> Sue is a guy. Sue is a little bit of a mercenary. Right. Um, he knows you can get a Super Bowl here. There's probably some bigger free agent dollars if you're dominant in the playoffs and you pick up a Super Bowl. So he is playing his best football of the season. That is, that is not a surprise. Um, so it, it'll be interesting. Those two guys have to get it figured out, whether it's Sue taking on, uh, on two guys so Donald can work one on one or even getting these free releases. Um, but I think that's that's big, right? You know, they went out and they tried to to add some guys who can help give them pressure, right? They signed Fowler or they trade for Fowler Jr. It's helped some, right? It was basically one of the biggest winning plays last week. He created the interception in overtime on Breeze. You know, tipped, got to the quarterback, tipped his hand, so that was massive. But you're still looking at the Rams, their 21st in pass rush, um, and I think when you look at New England's offensive line, it, it's. There are some good parts, but Dante Scarnecchia is fantastic. They're number one in 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 pass protection in the NFL this year. You look at how things are trending in the playoffs. Brady has had ninety playoff dropbacks. He's only been hit three times. Hasn't been sacked a single time. Um, but I think to take it that one step further, it's just the dichotomy of Tom Brady being one of the worst quarterbacks in the league when you know when he's pressured versus when he's not. So it is something that that you really want to talk about. Um, I think that's that's one of the the big keys here for this defense. The other one is when you're looking at the matchup of the Patriots offense and how they want to attack. Um, they really focus, I think, and, and this is key, and, and we can all remember this, right? The reason why Bob Sutton is now fired is because he played cover two basically the entire game. He allowed the Patriots to throw to the middle of the field. He allowed them to throw underneath. He allowed them to throw into the slot all night long. Um, and then obviously he got gashed on the ground. But if you can defend the slot, you have a shot against the Patriots offense. And quietly, the Rams defense defending slot passes the final six weeks of the season has been the best in the NFL. They've only allowed a 33% success rate on passes to the slot since talib has been back in week 14. That's strength on strength. I want to see how that matchup plays out a little bit as well.
2: When you look at the Rams, we know uh, part of it element is not only slowing down the slot, like you said, but the Patriots' uh, desire to throw to running backs out of the backfield. Do the Rams do enough in that particular department to neutralize a weapon like James White?
1: It depends. I, here's what's interesting: like if, if the Patriots are going to come out ground and pound, we're not going to see as much of James White as we would initially expect, and, and we kind of saw that a little bit last week. Now White did have like two dropped passes on on little screens. Uh, still bitter, he, still bitter about that. Yeah, he fell short on the receptions. Did go over on the yards with that with that long thirty yarder. Uh, but but I think the Patriots, if they decide to throw to the running back on early downs, like you can you can beat the Rams that way a little bit. But if you look at this right, and we know how good the Patriots are, their top five in NFL uh, in success rate and passing to the running back. But it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because the Rams right now overall. Number two in the NFL defending running back passes, and they face the seventh toughest schedule in that guard in that regard. Um, and the other interesting thing here is, it's vital. It's a great question. It's important to ask because the teams that rank in the top eleven of defending running back passes, the Patriots have faced four of those teams. They're one and three in those games this season. So it is vital to stop the running back pass. And I think the other interesting thing here is, like you know, this is just surface stuff. I. I I think New England's gonna be able to move the ball a little bit, right? They're going down in competition overall. They've faced the fourth toughest schedule of opposing defenses in terms of overall efficiency. Now you get the Rams, and they are trending significantly better, as we mentioned. But they're nineteenth full season metrics in defensive efficiency. I also think the one thing that you're not gonna hear a lot of people talk about, and, and to me it's it, it is surface level. I'm not taking shots at anybody. But if you New England's playing in a dome. They've been outdoors for five straight weeks. They're not dealing with cold weather. They're not dealing with these some sort of elements. They're in the comfy confines of a dome. And when you look at Brady, and I, we hit on this last year a little bit, um, when he's in the dome, he completes 4% more of his passes than when he's outdoors. 1.3 yards more per pass attempt. Uh, indoors versus outdoors. QB ratings about 11 points higher. So I think that's going to be an interesting element here a little bit. Um <sighs> it's just here's why these games are so tough and I'm gonna I'm gonna say it again as I said at the top of the show they're so good these coaches you're not quite sure what they're going to do and certainly you can go by like the last month or so where the Patriots have gone like more run heavy they've actually slowed down their pace considerably um, they've changed a lot of their formation stuff uh, when I look at this it's like you know initially early on in the, in the game, right? It, on first downs, if you want to pass to your running backs against the Rams, like it's there. But you can also run on them. So are they going to play a lot of 12 formation with a fullback? Or are they going to play more 11 personnel? The one thing that the Rams have done very good at, now they still give up the explosive plays because Peters loses his freaking mind and, you know, I don't know, it's like his mind wanders. He's like watching butterflies out there almost like a 12-year-old. Um, and, and guys beat him deep. That's really the bulk of like the explosive plays they give up. But in terms of like down-to-down pass defensive efficiency and, and success rate, they've been fantastic. And they've been really good defending three wide receiver sets. So it's like, what are the Patriots going to do? And that's what makes this so difficult. Um, I, the, the New England can attack multiple ways here. And that's why I'm really having trouble with the game.
2: I was going to ask, how does that impact some of the prop, the? Th- excuse me betting the prop market that thought process when you look at james white over under for receptions at six receiving yards in the high 40s low 50s depending on where you shop sony michelle we've seen his rushing over under anywhere from 16 and a half to 17 and a half rex burke had played a major role in the win against kansas city but i mean burke didn't have a single regular season rushing touchdown then burst onto the scene he had 12 second half touches last last game most of any new england player against kansas city when you go through all those, you look at the myriad of receiving options as well. Julian Edelman, his over-under sits at 80 and a half. Rob Gronkowski, 50 and a half. We know all the discussion there about this potentially being his last game. And then, of course, the other guys, Chris Hogan and Philip Dorsett. Does it discourage you from trying to unpack some of those particular props because of the uncertainty that goes into it?
1: It has, right? And this is kind of the least amount of prop work we've done in a Super Bowl and as long as I've been doing it. Um,
2: well, I again, wouldn't say, hold on, again. hold on, to your to your credit though, I wouldn't say it's the least amount of work, it may be the least amount right. of bettable opportunities
1: yes. as a result. Yes, yes, spot on. Um, when I am looking at this, and I'm just speaking specifically the guys I speak to, and, and what I have seen is is there's been a lot of a difference of opinion, right? I've, I've seen one group pummel the amount of rushing attempts for Sony Michelle over 17 and a half. Um, I have seen another group, as as we've seen throughout the Super Bowl history, where Tom Brady throws more, uh, where Tom Brady throws these quick passes, where we've seen White just go from hey, uh, not really a factor, to suddenly bursting onto the scenes. Um, so I've seen sharp money go over his his receptions. It actually opened five and a half. You mentioned it's out to six. So there's been sharp money's on it, right. It it, it's, it doesn't align, right? One group's playing over Sony Michelle runs. Another one's playing over White passes. They. They don't align. They're not gore-lit. Um, So, you know, we've seen this. I've seen a little bit of Gronk. Um, I, I know the market has seemed to go under, and there's a battle going on there. I've seen people say uh, Gronk has an advantage, and he does to a certain extent. Like, if you're looking at at kind of ways to attack the Rams, they have been a little bit worse against the tight ends than they have receivers and running backs. So I've seen initially Gronk get hit under uh, because he's been more in that, that you know, run-blocking role. I've also seen guys go over a little bit. Uh, this is really one of those Super Bowls where it's really tough. I have seen, and again, I think it's attributed to what we just talked about, how the Rams defend the slot. Um, I have seen Edelman under. and And just thinking out loud, right? Like, that's his guy. That is, that's his guy. He's going to get the bulk of the targets. It's tough to envision Edelman, who's been so great in the playoffs and the Super Bowls. Not having a huge impact on this game, but the way the Rams have defended the slot, I think that's the reason why we've seen under 82.5 receiving yards on Edelman come in. It's why we're now at 79.5 a little bit. So, um, there, there are some interesting matchups there for sure, but, but there just hasn't been anything conclusive that I have seen so far. And I can tell you that for, for whatever reason, there has been a lot of work done. There hasn't been a lot of props bet so far. But this playoff specifically, we have seen a lot of these props come in, um, on game day, which is usual for props. But when it comes to the Super Bowl, when the limits are a little bit higher for these props, usually they come in a little bit earlier. Um, And there certainly are some groups that have tacked early, but some of the key props that have have, I think guys are focusing on, they haven't been them yet. Um, So it's just really going to be interesting to see uh, how this develops with with this specific matchup. It's really tough, I got to tell you.
2: You guys just got to have sources in the hotel lobby for the Patriots. So when they add those eight plays about three hours before kickoff, you know exactly what's going on there.
1: <laughs> it it uh, Bill has been known to do that. And if you talk to a lot of coaches and even players and GMs and, and things of that nature, uh, they will tell you you're going to need two game plans to beat the Patriots. You're going to need your initial game plan and you're going to need... Uh, a, a different game plan at halftime. And that's your best recipe for, for beating Bill Belichick and the Patriots. And, and, and that's why they're so successful, because most teams, most coaches uh, don't have that in their in their repertoire. They don't have the ability to adjust on the fly. And, and, you know, I think if you're backing the Rams here, your hope is McVay is one of those guys that can do that. And we saw it last week specifically uh, against the Saints, where I thought he outcoached Sean Payton uh, pretty badly there from, from about halftime on.
2: Payne, that's what you expect from a Wesleyan man. Bill is prepared to handle adversity and be able to think on his feet. You should have known that having worked with me and having that had that privilege for the last, I don't know, 8, 10 years, however long we've been doing this nonsense.
1: You do. You do think with your feet for sure. Yeah,
2: fuck off. <laughs> All right, before we get into the Rams offense and some of the matchups there with the Patriots defense, I do want to ask you about what I think uh, is interesting because we talk about trends, and I don't want to say it's a trend when it's happened over the course of eight Super Bowls. New England has been a historically slow starter in the game. First time that we saw them actually get on the board in the opening quarter was last year against Philadelphia where they scored three points. Do we believe that's by design because Bill knows you can't win a football game in the first quarter, but you can lose it and he wants to go through a feeling out process of his opponent?
1: I'm going to bust your balls here a little bit because I've done some radio this week. I you know, I usually trend it down this time of year because we're just swamped. Uh, I've been asked that question on every radio show I've done this week. And here, and I think the answer is brilliant. We brought it up. So, we
2: brought it up last weekend on TV, and we know everybody <laughs> that follows the gambling world wants to take our full screen graphics and stats. So, I'd like to think of it as a trendsetter. We open the discussion, and we're going to close it emphatically right here on the Bet the Board podcast.
1: And it's it's going to be three reasons. I've kind of narrowed this down a little bit to three reasons. So, their slow starts, I think, have primarily come for three reasons. The first is. They haven't gotten the ball first in six of the eight games, right? So you're not getting as many possessions in the first quarter as your opponent. You're not getting the ball first. Um, so I think that plays a role, right? They, they, have, they have either won the coin toss and deferred or their opponent um, has won the coin toss and decided elected to take it. So they just haven't had the ball in the first quarter as much as their opponent um, in six of those games. I think the other aspect is, and we talk about this all the time, there is a feel-out process. So I think that's the second thing. It's like a heavyweight fight. You're going to jab. You're going to get a feel for your opponent. Um, you know, you don't want to lose the game in the first quarter, right? It's tough to win a game in the first quarter. I think you just asked the Atlanta Falcons, but um, <laughs> it, it's 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 you just don't want to lose it. And I think the other aspect is one we just touched on. I think it's ego. I think Brady and Belichick just simply know they're better. They're going to out scheme you. They're going to out adjust you um, at halftime. like Keep the game close. Don't lose the game early on because we know we're just smarter than you. We're going to figure out what you're doing and we're going to change what we're doing. We're going to now attack. And a lot of teams don't have that, um, that second element of when they get punched in the mouth, what are you going to do? Uh, are you going to be able to make those, those halftime adjustments? Most teams can't do it, and I think it's ego-based. I think they know that. So there's no reason to come out with your hair on fire here. Like, hey, let's figure this out. Let's get a feel for what they're doing. We're just going to be better than you, and we're going to make these adjustments. So I think it, it, it's a trio of things on why they've started a little bit slower.
2: See, there we go. That's a simple answer we were looking for. All the radio people can ask you what they want. We get the concise answer. Now they haven't been like
1: great in these Super Bowls, right? Like I think that's it's so funny. There's some of these games, right, where listen, as bad as they played, they probably should have beat the Giants twice. It takes like these two miraculous plays. But then you like trend further on down the line, it's like you probably shouldn't have beaten Atlanta. There's there's they've been close in a lot of these games. They're not blowing anybody out. They're not like overwhelming these teams, right? They're all close games.
2: Four of these eight games have been decided by a field goal. And when you look at it, and people tell me I'm nuts because I've said this all week, if the Patriots don't have that ridiculous comeback against Atlanta, we're talking about New England going into the game this weekend with a chance to lose their third straight Super Bowl. And while it's impressive to even get there, we know how malign the Buffalo Bills have been. I mean, you also begin to wonder, okay, why do you get to the biggest stage and then not be able to close the deal? They were arguably out-coached in each of the last two games. They were just fortunate enough to have the playmakers to come from behind against the Falcons.
1: Yeah, I mean, so it's, it's, it's interesting to think about. That's for sure. I would say they've won as many Super Bowls uh, as they should have won. Just because of the of the evening out process, right? There's a couple Super Bowls they shouldn't have won. There's a couple that they probably should have won, um,
2: and that's football,
1: right? Um,
2: but one yes, player or there we talk about all the time.
1: Yeah, they're not they're not blowing these teams out. They're not overwhelming them. Doug Peterson wasn't overwhelmed last year. He had a, a better game plan than than, than Belichick did. Um, they executed better down the stretch a little bit. I mean. I don't see this as being like this massive coaching advantage for, uh, and this massive advantage for the Patriots. I really don't. I think McVeigh is that brilliant. Um, you know, it's just the, the leading up stuff, right? Like, it, it, Again, it scared me a little bit with how anxious the Rams were to play this. You don't want to burn out mentally and emotionally to where all of a sudden the game comes and it's middle of the third quarter and you're just completely out of gas because you weren't able to handle the stuff leading up to the game. That That could be a potential thing.
2: Yeah, uh, you have to hope that you f- don't get fatigued. A lot of it, uh, we talk about it all the time in prize fights. It's controlling that energy because you can get zapped pretty quickly. If you don't come in with with peace of mind and a game plan there. But obviously from New England's offense against the Rams defense, to the Rams offense against the Patriots defense. We know this is going to be the best offense the Patriots have encountered in a Super Bowl. And Payne, I hope you're sitting because I have a laundry list of stats I want to rattle off to put some of this in historical context for a lot of our listeners out there. Go for the Rams it. I'm going to mo- take some water here. The Rams had the most first downs in the NFL this season at 401. They went three and out on the fewest percentage of possessions in the league at a shade more than 10%. They had the most red zone drives at 80 They had the lowest percentage of drops on catchable passes at 2.5%. Most plays of 10-plus yards, 266. They gave up the fewest opponent 10-play drives at only 15. They had the most points off turnovers, 113. They were second in yards per play, second in in plays of 20-plus yards, second in scoring offense, third in takeaways, which I guess is more of a defensive stat, third in rushing yards per game, third in completions of 20-plus yards, fourth in turnover margin, and fifth in third-down conversion percentage do your eyes tell you the same things that the numbers do that this Rams offense is every bit as good as these statistics suggest?
1: I only heard about one of them. That was quite the list.
2: That I, was figured, very good. I, I figured I figured I figured you're I gonna tune out. That's why I gave you the perfect break right there. I gave you the perfect opportunity to go in your healthier lifestyle and hydrate down there, whatever the <laughs> fuck it is you do during this podcast.
1: I, I, listen, I think like off the rip, like if I just had to ramble off like a, a few key things I think that are vital for the Rams offense to have success, it's it's probably using more tempo. All right, that's given the Patriots defense some trouble. Casey decided to go fast in the second half and they put up 31. Don't talk about that game plan. It'll scare you. If you look at what Andy Reid decided to do in the first half, he was the slowest of the four teams by a wide margin in the first half last week. He was trying to protect his defense. That's not who they were. You're an offensive team. Don't be an idiot. Um, But that's what happened. Once they went tempo and pace, hung 31. I think the other thing is you got to attack the Patriots defense in the run game on the edges. I think that's going to be a big thing here. And obviously Todd Gurley's going to need to be that guy. Uh, the Rams, I think they need to use more play action The the Patriots defense has struggled defending that they haven't been able to get pressure. And I think the big thing here, and it's obvious, right? You you just need to do a better job. If you're the Rams scoring touchdowns, when you get in the red zone, they're only converting about 56% of their trips into touchdowns. That's 19th in the NFL. Um, so I think those are kind of the, the, the four key things. If I were to kind of lay those out, um, The Rams' play-action offense has been pretty good, and they actually use it more than anyone in the NFL. 35% of their passing snaps come off play-action. The more, the merrier this game. I I really do. I think you need to use play-action a lot. That tends to give the Patriots defense trouble. Uh, They don't get after the quarterback well when you use play-action, and I think it's that threat of the run, obviously. It's a sign of not having a ton of team speed. It's a sign of not having great linebackers. Um, A lot of what the Patriots do defensively isn't based on talent. It's it's more scheme. Um, so the other thing that you'll notice here is the Patriots, they don't get after the quarterback as well uh, when the quarterback's under center. And I think that's one key thing here. The Rams and Jared Goff run the most snaps from under center in the NFL, 25% more than the league average. And you take it one step further on the season, Los Angeles, when they use play action, you've just seen a massive uptick from their offense. Their passing success rate increases 6% despite Pushing the ball down the field more. The yards per pass attempt increased 2.2 yards when using play action. And then the sack rate dips tremendously, 2.5%. So I think that's big. Um, when you want to run the ball, it usually comes outside, right? These outside zone runs from like 11 personnel. We talked about that last week, right? We thought the Chiefs would have some advantage there running from, from shotgun with these three wide receiver sets. That's where the Patriots defense is susceptible. Andy Reid didn't do enough of that. The Rams, that, that's a little bit of their forte running from 11 on the season. They average 6.2 yards per rush on outside zone runs from three wide receiver sets. So the the, the caveat to this is, and it's someone we're going to talk about and everyone's been talking about him all week, I think that's going to require Todd Gurley, right? He's He's got to play a, a role in this game. He's got to get back to form. Um, it feels like there's something wrong with him, whether it's mentally or physically. But I have to tell you, I texted yesterday I went down a wormhole and watched like three hours of film. He looks fine to me, right? Like he's making cuts. Um, The the touchdown before break, he's literally shot out of a cannon. Uh, You you watched his second dropped pass there that that came that should have probably been a first down. Uh, I believe it was called for like offensive pass interference on Cooks. It got removed, but if you watch him go out for this pass, he cuts hard on his knee. Like It's weird. We're going to find out something a couple years down the line like Something weird happened here, whether it was something mental, whether something off the field, I don't know. But the point being here is like CJ Anderson. Has a much tougher time for obvious reasons with the outside zone runs. He just can't get there quick enough. Um. Hey,
2: anyone who's ever studied physics knows that it takes a longer period of time when you have much bigger masses to get them going in a forward or even a backwards direction. Yeah, I mean, he's it's
1: like Todd Furman with hockey pads on and skates trying to get to the outside. He's got a piano I on still, his back. Hey,
2: even with all my goalie gear on back when I was playing, I still weigh less than CJ Anderson does right now. <laughs>
1: Um, he's been effective, right? But it's, it's, it's more so up the middle. Um, I think, think what's interesting here is, is how, you know, the Patriots maybe plan to play defense. Um, because, you know, when you look at the Rams and how they line up offensively, it, it's, it's tough to play man against them, right? Like and the Rams really couldn't do this again last week, right? There wasn't a lot of pre-snap motions in New Orleans. They couldn't hear each other, but when you play bunch, when um, with all this motion, it's much tougher to defend that playing man. Um, I have, I don't want to say this is gospel, but I've heard from a very reliable source. And the Patriots are like one of the heaviest man defenses in the NFL. They love to play man. Uh, I've heard from a pretty good source. They're confident jamming uh, cooks at the line of scrimmage and mixing up coverage behind them. Then you kind of go back and you look, and I know it was a long time ago. I think it was Super Bowl 36 back in 2002, and you had the greatest show on turf. They used a lot of bunch formations in in Belichick. Basically, if you look at the film, like just blitzed them. Like basically just literally jammed every wide receiver in the bunch formation at the line of scrimmage. Now, if you listen to Marshall Falk talk this week, he was adamant about (laughs) all their, their practices being filmed. Um Kurt Warner wouldn't touch that with a 12-foot pole, but Marshall Falk's Kurt, pretty Kurt'
2: Kurt's smart. Yeah. Kurt is a man who knows he's going to make a lot more money in his NFL career now, <laughs> commentating and trying to get paid for that. That opening that can of worms isn't going to help. Probably, when, I mean, that's not the reason Marshall Falk isn't on air, but he doesn't have as much to lose in that particular regard.
1: Yeah, Marshall, Marshall Falk isn't on air for obvious reasons, but he's been doing some interviews this week. Um, and so, but but the point is, I've been told from a pretty good source, they plan to jam Cooks at the line of scrimmage, mix up coverage behind him. Um, but if they do use that game plan that that they used back in Super Bowl thirty six in two thousand two against this this Rams team, who also used a lot of bunch formation, it was basically just hijack these dudes at the line of scrimmage. So I think it's I think it's interesting, right? When when you look at you know golf has struggled a little bit against zone. You think again? I think it could be a mix of things. It's it's really tough to kind of pinpoint what the Patriots are going to do here. And and you speak to guys who have worked previously with the Patriots and and you kind of try to get your best vibe. And, and, and they don't even really know. Like, it's just, these guys are very good game planning and scheming and they have two weeks and there's going to be a ton of adjustments. Like it's, it's tough to pinpoint what exactly is going to go on here.
2: Well, you mentioned, it's funny that you mentioned what the greatest show on turf is Robert Woods and Brandon cooks the first, Teammate duo to both go over 1300 yards since Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt did it way back then. And I know you brought up Todd Gurley, but I just kind of wanted to get your take and pay special attention to that uh, and his decline in productivity. I mean, we know his rushing numbers where they were set. I saw some books open that thing as high as 71. We talked about it before the podcast. It actually dipped into the 50s before settling in the mid 60s where it is now at betonline.ag, receiving numbers largely untouched at 32 and a half. But as far as his workload trends, Over his first 12 games versus final, just keep this in perspective for our listeners who may not pay nearly as much attention to it as we do. Carries, he averaged a little over 19 per game. That number's declined to less than 11. Yards per game on the ground, 98 to right around 50. Overall, touches down nearly 10 from 23 and a third to 14.8. Yards from scrimmage from 137 to 78. And he's had 23 games pain since the start of 2017 with 100-plus yards from scrimmage. That's four more than Ezekiel Elliott. Followed up in the NFC Championship with his lowest career rushing attempts at four and second-fewest yards at 10, Meanwhile, the Rams undefeated this year when he gets 15 or more attempts. How do we even begin to assess not only Gurley's performance, but what that Rams offense is going to look like with such a major unknown factor?
1: You need information. I mean, I I can't put that any simpler. Uh, He had four, four runs last week, I believe. And for the last three weeks, his rushing props have gotten steamed under pretty heavy and they they got hit this week a little bit but I was kind of told that the guys that I associate with were looking for something in the 60 range and it got down to like 56 and a half and I woke up and we're back at 60 so my feeling is that was kind of the buy point on Gurley like he's going to have to be a factor here I, I think that's that's the biggest thing and and why he's so important is like you just look at how the Patriots defend their good stopping runs up the middle and at this stage right like CJ Anderson he's a guy who runs up the middle and that's the one spot you look with the Patriots they've given up 3.7 a carry on 100 rush attempts directly over center so again it's it's vital for this Rams offense to get that outside zone running going and it, it's got to be with Gurley like Gurley's got to be a factor here
2: When you look at the Rams receivers, we mentioned Cooks and Woods. You talked about how the Patriots may elect to try and scheme. Uh, Do we think of some of the secondary options that are out there? Who has to step up and play a bigger role? Is it Higby? Is it Everett? Can Josh Reynolds kind of be that X factor uh, that the Rams are going to need in the passing game to make the Patriots respect their uh, potential offensive balance?
1: Here's what's interesting. I did see sharp money come in on the under-receiving yards for Josh Reynolds. I would put an asterisk next to that because if the Patriots do decide to go man, um, he's going to have a field day on crossing routes over the middle. And yeah, we've kind of seen this, right? You go back to the Jacksonville game. They only used that crossing route over the middle uh, about 74 times. And it worked virtually 73 of those times. And that might
2: have been the last time Blake Portals <laughs> looked like a competent NFL quarterback too.
1: The, the Patriots just don't have have that team speed specifically over the middle, right? If they go man, I think Reynolds can, can have a decent day uh, on that cross over the middle. So, you know, again, it, it it's tough stuff because we see sharp guys going under on him but matchup wise if we see the Patriots in man he's going to be the guy that that needs to separate himself and have a big day for the Rams to win um, I just, I'm intrigued this this is this game to me you know we're not going to have a ton of action on it like we've had in most Super Bowls but just from a, a pure watchability standpoint like I, I love the coaching stuff I love the, the adjustments so this is like right up my alley yeah, it's
2: nerd, nerd nirvana for you over there. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, here's here's what's interesting <laughs> a little bit. Um, you know, I was digging into this, and the Patriots have have played five games this season against offenses that rank top ten in offensive efficiency. Uh, two of those games were against the Chiefs, and they're kind of distorting this a little bit. But in the five games, they've given up like twenty five point eight points, um, which which I think is is a pretty good sign here. The thing that makes me a little nervous, right, when you look at this, and we've talked about the lack of of team speed defensively, specifically at linebacker for, for New England, you would say, hey, running back passes, this is how we're going to attack, and I think that's a great idea, right, the Patriots are 22nd in the NFL in defending running back passes, I think the question becomes is like, who's the weapon? Who, who do the Rams have uh, at running back who can who can catch passes? Like C.J. Anderson isn't an efficient pass catcher, right? He doesn't have that that kind of quickness, mean, wait, wait, that movement. Wait, you of burst, mean over
2: right? under? You mean over under a half a reception doesn't indicate that he's going to be a
1: viable receiving threat coming out of the backfield, <laughs> You're right? I mean, you know, in, in Gurley last week he looked like he had flipper hands out there; he's like a dolphin. Um, so you know, and you look since week fourteen, uh, kind of around this time where where Gurley's. Fallen off cliff a little bit. The Rams have only been successful in 44% of their passes to running backs. So you got, again, like Gurley's got to play a role here. Do you see a, a freaking curveball here? Because McVay is that good to, to, to throw the 12 to six curveball. Do was a little John Kelly catching a pass or two? Like I, I don't know. But it's certainly something the Patriots wouldn't expect. It's certainly something um, that you would hope the Rams would be able to exploit here, right? You got to figure out how to get your your running backs the ball out of the backfield, catching passes here. Um, just looking at it, right, you, you think it's got to be girly a little bit. Um,
2: Get Josh Reynolds the ball out of the back. Yeah, he carried that's 19, your guy. You, he- what's
1: going on? I feel like you've, you've found out something. You got somebody I, in Josh Reynolds' true. camp. I kid no, you not. For our I, listeners I, I out wish, there, I have heard I Josh Reynolds mentioned more in the last <laughs> seven days than his girlfriend. I woke up to a text this morning, Josh Reynolds, Josh Reynolds. I thought maybe you shared a bed together. I don't know what's going on. <laughs>
2: Trust me, I I wish I had some intel there. I mean, I just go back and look, and I know you've watched a a lot more film, that when you try and figure out some of the versatility for the players you have, uh, I don't think Cooks provides a capable threat in the backfield. I don't think Robert Woods does that as he's going to occupy the slot, kind of assuming the role for Cooper cup that Reynolds has kind of provided that X factor. Um, and every, and almost feels like anytime they need a big momentum play, they've been able to find him, whether it was at the end of the first half against the saints, the role he played in that shootout against Kansas city. He just feels like the kind of guy capable of having a big day. If the Rams need somebody to step up that all being said, watch him have one catch for eight yards.
1: <laughs> and, 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 hey. You know, maybe maybe you're spot on. Maybe he's involved. Um, you know, with the short passes. One thing that I've I've kind of noticed here is the Patriots' defense towards the tail end of the season, uh, especially on early downs, have been susceptible to short passes. Sixty percent of all first and second down passes over the last six weeks they've graded successful and that's scary because you look at who New England's faced over that 6 game stretch like there's some there's some bottom feeder offenses right you got the Bills the Jets and the Dolphins that trio ranks 28th 29th and 31st in passing success rate so it, you know i think it's important because we know a huge part of McVay's offense is short passes um early on in downs because that's what what efficient teams do and you look at the Rams they've been successful in 66% of their first and second down passes so i think that might be uh, an angle to look at there a little bit as well. Um, offensively for the Rams, I know we talked about about pressure on Brady, and, and you can you can flip the script here a little bit, right? New England getting pressure of late. Like kudos to their defense; um, they have been a menace to to opposing quarterbacks. Ten sacks the last three games, but a lot of them again, it's it, it schemed sacks, right? Past Trey Flowers, not a ton of talent on that defensive line um if you're a Patriots fan or, or better right you're hoping that trend line continues but if you look at at the whole season metrics Patriots have been poor getting after the quarterback 30th in pass rush despite you know facing a below average schedule of opposing offensive lines and when you look at the Rams they they did have that little two game stretch where they were they were horrific against Chicago and Philadelphia, two of the best defensive lines in football, so you maybe give them a pass, but the Rams offensive line sixth in pass protection, and that's after facing the second toughest schedule of pass rushing defenses, so I, I don't think we see the Patriots get after the quarterback as much as we've seen the last couple weeks, so so that's going to be something to monitor as well, and I know um, I did see some sharp money come in at plus money under three and a half total sacks for the game it's tight, right? It's tight, but it's at plus money. Um, I believe it was like plus 130 at under 3.5 and And just kind of looking at this underlying thing about how the Rams go from under center, how they execute with a lot of play action um, and and how good they are protecting golf. I, I think that's kind of some underlying things. You look at where the bulk of these sacks have come for the Patriots defense. They've had one sack out of their last 17 um, that have come from any of these these un- from under center or from play action, right? 16 of their last 17 sacks have come when opposing offenses play 11 personnel and their quarterbacks in the shotgun. That's not something, now the, now the Rams obviously do that, but again, very heavy in coming from under center, very heavy in play action, so that's really negated um, a lot of the scheme stuff that the Patriots do to get after the quarterback.
2: And I think, I mean, you raised some excellent points there talking about how all of this will play out. The Patriots, of course, have played with a lead uh, quite a bit down the stretch. And this is a team that only has 30 sacks in the entire season. Now, they've been much better in that department. You mentioned 17 sacks since week 14, tied with the Eagles uh, atop the leaderboard there. But clearly, uh, we'll see the Rams elect a scheme for it. The one thing that these two teams do have in common is extremely healthy offensive lines and have had it for a lot of the season developing the continuity. We know how important the building blocks are in that particular regard. Uh, One last thing in terms of X's and O's pain. uh, I know we talk about it probably not enough and the potential impact it can have, especially in a game of this magnitude special teams, Greg Zerline dealing with a little bit of a lower body issue. The Rams, we've seen them have to abandon kicking extra points once already in a game this season. Uh, They are five of seven going for two. What do we make of the potential field position flipping that can go on from the punter position or field goal kicking as it pertains to Greg Zerline or Steven Goskowski?
1: Yeah, I mean, when I looked at some special team stuff, you know, I just looked at bottom line, a lot of efficiency metrics, and they're two teams right in the middle of the pack. You know, you're going to realize when just looking at the core numbers, New England is is uh, 16th, and special teams efficiency, the Rams are 17th, but... There are little intricate things throughout the course of the game. You know, we've we've kind of harped on this for a long time now with how the Patriots like to execute mortar kicks. And, uh, you know, I know this is a prop bet that we gave out last year to our listeners, uh, the Patriots' first kickoff. Uh, will it be a touchback or not? The no last year when we gave it out was plus 145. You talk about an evolving market. Fast forward to this year, it's now minus 150, and it's because of these mortar kicks on the kickoffs that the Patriots employ, trying to you know get better field position. Uh, for the Rams, I think the kicker position is going to be fine, right? I, I, it was an ankle injury that he hurt at halftime warming up. Now he's had two weeks. He, I know the adrenaline's going, but he buried two huge kicks late in that game that were long and of distance with this injury. But I, I'm sure, you know, the adrenaline helped. But I think he's going to be fine. Um, I don't see a massive, massive edge um, in special teams, but obviously it's a one-game sample. So, so, you know, this is certainly a critical part uh, of the game. We know Belichick's hands-on. McVay has really been hands-on with special teams because it's two sharp coaches that know how impactful special teams are. Um, and field position can play a great role in this game. That's for sure.
2: Always interesting. It becomes uh, that hidden yardage that can dictate how an outcome will go in a game that'll be so tightly decided. We've talked about all the X's and O's. We've broken down a lot of the matchups that are going to play a major role, but there's also another battle being waged that in the prop markets, and there's one man perfect for the job. He's joined us every Thursday throughout the course of the NFL season. It's only fitting he's back for one more farewell appearance. You can follow Dave Mason on Twitter at Dave Mason B O L. And Dave, one game left on the NFL docket. What's the betting handle look like so far as we sit about 72 hours away from kickoff?
3: Uh, betting handle's through the roof. Especially early, I mean, that early action was crazy. They were, you know, then got steady, a little slower and steady. But that early action when the uh, Patriots opened as small dogs and even a pick them um, through the roof. We're going to be humongous Rams fans, Super Bowl Sunday, uh, not only against spread, but the money line as well. Uh, what we got here, like 78%, 79%, 78% of the money is on the Patriots, currently minus two and a half. About 75% of the money line action is on the Patriots, currently minus 138. Um, the total not a huge decision yet. About 55% of the action is on the over so far. But, but yeah, it's kind of one of those spreads where usually you, you need the underdog on the spread and the favorite on the money line. But that's not the case. We, we're going to need the dog on both big
2: it's pretty, pretty crazy because, I mean, you talk about it in pain. I know you and I have broken this down in the past. Typically, the recreational better wants to bet the favorite laying the points. He or she's going to back the underdog on the money line, and the books at least put themselves in a good spot. Uh, apparently not quite the case for uh, what Dave's seen.
1: No, it doesn't sound like it and I think it's a just a different game here because we're looking at a a line that's roughly pick the winner. Uh to the the recreational better Dave, just a quick question here talking about the spread a little bit more. Internally have you guys discussed going to 3 and if so at what point do you envision going there?
3: Um, you know, it's we, know, we all know, on this call at least, why that number's not at three, right? Uh, I'm sure you're going to be asking me about sharp action at some point. And, uh, you know, if that goes to three, there's a bunch of people out there licking their chops, waiting for that three. So, you know, be it that it's a Super Bowl and it's the last game of the year, it depends on that red number, man. It, it right. depends on, you know, the, the, the guys upstairs who... Uh,
1: hey, do we want know, a little playback kind of thing?
3: Yeah, how much playback can we get? And it's not going to be a free for all, for God's sakes. <laughs> I might be up for a few seconds to get some big bets and just get some money down. But, but no, I mean, you know, it's it's we we all know that you got to pay attention to that sharp action more than the public action, and that's that's the way we do things here. And you know, you you know, that square books that don't take sharp action you might be able to get that three, but we take a significant amount of sharp action, so. It could be there, but I, I wouldn't. I say I say uh, I say minus 400. It stays at two and a half. Oof!
1: Interesting. Okay,
3: that's a, that's
2: a steep line. That's a steep, steep number there.
1: Yeah. Have you seen any sharp action come in early at this point, side or total? Uh,
3: side. Patriots early when they're dogs. I mean, that, but that, you know, pick them, pick them and better. Um, but, you know, that was early on too when the limits weren't that high. So we do know that a lot of the sharp action comes, wait until the limits are that very high. Total a little bit on the under, not too much.
1: A lot in the first half, I would assume. More so? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And, and props, how do those look? Anything that's pretty interesting in terms of liability? Any games or any, uh, Props that maybe you've had to take off the board. Anything crazy with the prop action at BetOnline.ag so yeah, far?
3: Yeah, a couple we took off the board. A gronk to retire. People were pounding the hell out of that. <laughs> um, and with that interview last night, you did. I don't know if you saw that interview, but uh, about injuries and stuff. It's probably the most serious interview I've ever seen Gronk do. And uh, <laughs> it's definitely. I think they got good value there. Uh, we closed the um, Doritos. What what will the color of the Doritos bag be? Um, the first Doritos commercial, and and people would all of a sudden just start pounding the favorite red. I mean, it's a pretty heavy favorite, but they just start pounding it, and it. And the, um, our props manager closed and did some research. It looked like the commercial got leaked or something. So it did, at. yeah, 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 yeah. So man, that's what the chat. Ch- <laughs> <a> ch- <laughs> <laughs> that's a challenge. I mean, especially some of these accounts are like highlighted. You know, sharp accounts and people that think they're betting the spread. Now they're betting freaking everything. freaking Dorito commercial bags and stuff. But whatever. So uh, hey, hey,
2: you take that edge in this business wherever you can oh, find it, Dave. We know how this works. Of course, I know. Whatever.
3: Uh, <laughs> Let's see. That, there's some huge liabilities out there. As always, yearly, annually, safety, yes, at plus 800. And overtime, yes, at plus 800. Talk about 96 of the betters are on the safety. 94% of the betters are on overtime. Uh, uh, topical one is, is will there be a roughing the passer at plus 130? 90% of the people are on yes. Uh, will they mention Belichick, McVay's age gap, 85% of the actions on the yes. Yes. Um, over two and a half um, play over two and a half players attempt to pass at minus 110 80 percent the actions on that will they show the Rams Saints uh pass interference uh, no call plus 150 85 percent of the a- actions on that get shown over under uh one and a half Giselle Buchanan views 87 percent 87 of the actions are on over which I think is an easy one there. It's only minus 120. I'm surprised by that. Um, 98, this might be the most lopsided prop ever. 98% of the action is on there being a streaker at plus 2,000. I think we're sitting good there. I think we're sitting good there. So, yeah, 98% of people are on the, there being a, a bunch of pervers out there, I guess, hoping on a streaker. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Any of your friends showing up to the game, Dave, because
3: that could say yeah. some things a little bit. Right, Exactly.
1: <laughs>
2: Oh, uh, like, it's, one, it's one of those things when you talk about a relatively low-limits prop, uh, people go, well, can't Pete? you get inside there and pay one of your buddies to do it? Exactly. Appar- I was poking around. Apparently, you know you can be in prison for, like, up to a year, and it's a $100,000 <laughs> fine for that kind of bullshit.
3: Yeah, right. Exactly. But you can make a couple bucks, so.
2: Probably need, your, probably need your head examined. So with all those liabilities, Dave, have you guys seen any actual sharp action on some of these props, uh, aside from the color of the opening Doritos bag? <laughs> Now, there's
3: been some, you know, not not a ton yet, actually, Um, but there's been some sharp prop action um, under on field on some of the field goal stuff. The public's betting the over, but there has been some sharp action on some of the unders on field goals.
2: It's always always interesting to see where uh, professional bettors are looking to plunk down their cash on some of the props. Now, as far as some of the entertainment options, I know we talked about a lot of the game-specific stuff. You guys seen anything unusual, whether it's uh, length of the National Anthem, halftime, any of that kind of crap?
3: Um, well, actually, the National Anthem, There there is some sharp action on the under for uh, Gladys Knight's National Anthem. It's at one minute and 50 seconds, so there is a little bit of sharp action on that. The public is on the over um we'll see that's always one of my favorite uh prop bets and we got a lot of stuff tied into that will they show you know when they show Gronk will his hand be over his heart uh yeah, all that stuff what player will be shown first what coach will be shown first during a national anthem so yeah halftime show we another one that we didn't even put up we were about to put it up and then we didn't take put it up because the info is getting leaked uh, Maroon Five, their first song. A lot of people are asking me to put it up, and we're just not going to put it up because that's always that's always one of those that every year that that one gets leaked and the books get take it into you know what. So uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna we're even put that one up. We're about C-P- to, and then we're like, yeah screw it.
2: See, Payne, that's the one that Dave gets the information ahead of time from all his TMZ sources. He's pounding it all over the internet, and he's not hanging it at his shop.
1: Slippery slope, my friend. Slippery slope. Although the. Uh... The rehearsals leak pretty pretty quickly, just about as soon as they start. Uh, <laughs> you'll start getting information there, so it, it makes sense doing that.
2: There's no doubt about it. you got to protect the uh, the house assets along the way. Last but not least, though, Dave, uh, I know a lot of our listeners have been long-standing players with BetOnline.ag, but if they haven't, that they want to take advantage of some of these entertainment props, they want to get involved in some of the earliest college basketball lines, the uh, most competitive hockey numbers out there because March Madness is lurking right around the corner. Uh, what kind of promotions are available this weekend?
3: Yes, sir. Well, we've got all sorts of stuff going on this weekend. we got a couple contests, uh, $5,300 score predictor. You, you predict a correct class, the correct last final score, the Super Bowl, and the winner. You can win $5,300. bucks. we got a little props predictor that has 10 different props and game spreads and stuff. Pick them and fish, finish in the top 10. You win a piece of 5,300, and we got, of course, the uh, bet the board bonus. If you do not have a betonline.ag account, use sign up for one. Use promo code 75BTB on your first-ever deposit to score 75% welcome bonus. If you already have a betonline.ag account, use promo code 50BTB for one-time 50% reload bonus. All the terms and conditions can be found at promotions.betonline.ag, slash bet the board
2: that's dave mason you of course can follow dave not only up to kickoff but throughout the year at dave mason bol on twitter he is a media mogul you can hear him all over the place but only the best information right here on bet the board dave best of luck this weekend i know you'll be down in your eric dickerson throwback jersey for a little bit of that rams karma to get them to the window come sunday It's always funny, Payne. Every year we talk to Dave about this time. You know the normal props that are going to create liability, the two-point conversion, the overtime – uh, and I, my boss, back in the day when we first started talking and I was working at Caesar. so we had props on the board that was the exact number of points scored in a game. And, and I can't tell you, and this just goes to show how inept he was at his job, the kind of sweat he would go through when he looked through the liability and would legitimately be concerned that a team was going to finish the Super Bowl with exactly two points or exactly four points. It made me laugh, and I had to bite my lip to keep from arguing with him on a daily basis. I think
1: there's a lot of props when you're throwing out 400, 500, and it continues to grow. Uh, there's always a couple props that you just aren't going to be able to. Bettors are going to get you right. I mean, that's the one advantage of the better, right? You, sportsbooks have to put a line out on all these things. Bettors can pick and choose. And, and that's kind of the evening process and uh, being selective versus being charged the vague. Um but you're always going to have a couple sweats in these Super Bowls. And I know mathematically, right, we've talked about this ad nauseum. Mathematically, um, you know, going with the the no on the safety, going with the no in the overtime, mathematically is the right bet, but it's gotten kicked in the teeth the last few years. And, and you know, at this point, we're only going to live to be whatever, 60, 70, 80. Like we're never going to recoup that money. So while it's a, a very good bet mathematically, um, it's one that I don't like run and, and, and hammer, you know. Um, uh, but yeah, Shit, I mean, there's it's gonna, a lot of, go gonna take, there's
2: going to take me 10 years to make back the money. I lost <laughs> betting no overtime on the Super Bowl for the Patriots and Falcons.
1: Yeah, the, there's, there's a couple and you can get them like reduced juice. Now a couple places you, you can parlay them together, right? The, the, the no safety plus no overtime. Uh, and I think I saw one earlier this week, uh, throw in the, the no two point conversion made to that, to that, uh, that grouping as well so it's fun to see how these props expand that's for sure
2: yeah I wanted to ask you about those props real quick before we get into uh, our best bet and the way we think that the, the market is ultimately going to afford us an investment opportunity we've seen some of those props actually move whether it's over under number of players attempting a forward pass at two and a half we've seen that start to To tick out a little bit we've seen the yes no on will there be a two point conversion attempted I put the emphasis there on attempted more so than successfully converted because the two yes there's a correlation but it's not a 100% direct correlation that one half a causal relationship excuse me you know how do you look at some of those is that more some of the math guys out there just betting these based on the probability or do you feel that they have perfect information they're trying to move on
1: so uh, you know it could be twofold right from what I have seen, the math props get drilled immediately, right? And, and it's a part of your portfolio, and I think it's more for professional bettors because this becomes the, hey, we're going to be betting the Super Bowl for the next 50 years, right, as opposed to the guy who's just doing it as a hobby, someone who's just coming into it for fun. You know, this is the one game they bet a year, right? It's tough explaining to them, hey, this probably might not win, but mathematically we're going to earn over the next 50 years if we do it every year. Uh, so the two props that you mentioned specifically, uh, over two and a half receptions, uh, I'm sorry, over two and a half passing attempts. That is sharp again. That is sharp again. Um, I will tell you, we gave that out on last year's podcast. That was more informational. Um, (laughs) kind of had an idea that, uh, that Edelman was going to be in line to throw one. Uh, you know when I look at it this year, certainly mathematically it makes some sense, right? You have Hecker who's attempted, I believe, six passes this season. Um, Five and then to you have one, two. mind
2: you, to throw a pass just himself.
1: Yeah, and you have Edelman, former Kent State quarterback. He's usually in the mix. Now, I know earlier this season they attempted to throw one to Brady and, and there was rumors of that's when he nicked up his knee a little bit trying to catch this ball and you certainly don't want to get Brady injured in this game, but you know, there, there certainly could be that element there. Um, what was the other math prop you mentioned?
2: Um, uh, the two-point conversion. The two-point
1: conversion. Attempted. Oh, smoked. Absolutely smoked. The two-point attempt, yeah. Strictly math-based, um, just based on the number of two-point conversion attempts growing annually, right? I believe it's 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 over 11% now. This season, over 11% of um, of touchdowns, there were a two-point attempted. So you look at how many touchdowns are projected in this game when you when you factor in the juice. It's like I don't know six point eight five touchdowns expected um, times whatever eleven. I think it's like eleven point six percent of two-point conversions uh, were attempted this season. So mathematically at at pick at at plus money, it made sense. You know now we're we're out in the juice territory. There's there's not much value in that number. Uh, same thing again with the opening kickoff sure Gustowski could could do another mortar kick and you win your bet mathematically when you look at it again this is a prop last year we were given out and taken plus 145 on it's now minus 150 like there's just there's not as much value the prop market is is unfortunately caught up um, and so that's that's our hope we love when when these sports books compete and open new props annually right new ones that we haven't seen and, and we can kind of hit those the other interesting one here and, and i think, uh, going back to the special teams and the Zerloin injury has has impacted some things and scared people off, right? You look last week on on will there be a missed point after in the Kansas City game. Let's think about that, right? It's, it's a freaking freezing. Um, there's a little bit of a wind. You're kicking a hard ball. It doesn't go as far. Uh, it was minus 400 if you wanted to take the no, there won't be a missed point after last week. In this game, you're indoors, comfy confines. It's minus three hundred, so there there is value in that number. But again, it's it if you're betting it from now for the next fifty years, you're fine when you have a you know an eight percent edge. So the guy who's betting it for the first time does he want to lay you know whatever the math would be there thirty dollars to win ten, and then when it loses, he's pissed off for the rest of the night. Like it's just it, it's 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 a different it's a different agenda for for the different kinds of betters.
2: It definitely changes the thought process. There's no doubt about it when we look at the way these games uh, unfold and if you're looking to be involved recreationally for a one-game sample size or you treat this as a business uh, and realize, hey, some money lost potentially this year will be able to be recouped over the next two to three Super Bowls. But all that aside, Payne, we've talked to Dave Mason. We've broken down the matchups. We've talked about the intrigue and drama surrounding Todd Gurley. Will Jared Goff rise to the occasion as the fourth Cal quarterback, by the way, the number one school to have starting quarterbacks, Cal with four. I found that fact interesting uh, doing some reading. Or will Tom Brady continue to cement his legacy as the greatest quarterback of all time? Where are we going for our best bet to close things off with a bang and put a bow on what's been a profitable 2018 football season here on the Bet the Board podcast?
1: Let me start by saying... um it's going to be a little bit of a derivative. Um, and I'm not sure if you can get the same amount down that you, you would regularly on your best bets. Um, we obviously want to end with a winner. Let's go with the first quarter under 10 and a half points. It is a little bit juiced. Um, I know you said you had access to minus 25. There is minus 30 out there. I like anything in the 30, uh, range minus Minus one forty. I think, I think you're probably fine. Um, in full disclosure, and this isn't to like pat ourselves on the back, we we got out immediately on this first half under. Um, but but twenty eight and a half is not available. We're now looking at at twenty seven or a really juiced twenty seven and a half. I, I think we want to go first quarter with this, especially once I have seen some of the sharp guys' portfolios and and within that portfolio is uh, no score first five and a half minutes that that came out around minus one ten. We're now at a, a buck forty. Uh, the other one that was in their portfolio was third quarter more scoring than first quarter. So, you know, using that philosophy, using the idea of, of we are on the first half under it, a little bit better number. Let's let's go with the first quarter here, Todd. Uh, under 10 and a half.
2: What a quick question here, and I don't want to play Johnny Action Junkie. Should this total get bet up with public money? Would you advise 28 still being a bettable number uh, for some of our guys to. out there? I don't think it's going to. That's what, what I figured, and I had to I, ask the I, question because I know we're going to get hit with it on social media, so I had to ask if, the question. If, if I wanted to broach can, it here.
1: Yeah, if you can get 28, you, you know, I, I think maybe, you know, you end up with, you know, half on the first quarter or or half on on the, the first half. Here's what's interesting. Like, the public's going to be coming out in droves, and they're going to be betting this thing over. We've already seen sharp guys tipped their hand that they like this under, right? Under in the first half, open 29 and a half. It was 28 and a half. Uh, maybe two hours after it was open. By the following morning, you were like...
2: Yeah, I'm sitting on a shit number there myself. The,
1: 28 across the board. Like, the first half was attacked under. um, Full game was hit under 59. um Even when you saw it come back down to, like, where we're at, 56, 56 and a half, like, Jazz went to 55 and a half and they've kind of mended back to the market as it's gotten closer to kickoff but you know like they, they got hit that's the only reason they're going to 55 and a half um, not to like tip our hand but when we did our contest sheet and we were anticipating this like the markets at 57 we used 55 and a half for a Super Bowl contest line um, I I think we're going to see under money come in um, at some point is it going to reflect it in the market because you know this is the most bet game in the, in the public has their say you know, I don't think we're getting too far off this line. Um, but I, uh, if you see a 28, sure. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. Could I, be yeah. off, but I just don't think it's happening.
2: I just had to ask the if question. If it does,
1: I'm going to be more, I'm going to add more. Uh, but <laughs> I, I don't think we're have that opportunity.
2: <laughs> just, just had to ask the question. So we throw it out there. So first quarter under shop around. You should be able to lay a dollar and a quarter if you're out here in the desert. A dollar thirty, pretty much the consensus. Uh, I know the offshore realm and BetOnline.ag right around minus a dollar forty. So always do your due diligence. Try and give yourself the best opportunity to win. Uh, goes without saying, as we finally put a wrap on what has been yet another great season here for the Bet the Board contest, a special thanks to BetOnline.ag, our presenting sponsor for all the lines and Dave Mason's contributions from start to finish this entire football season. Uh, you, the listeners, are who we do this podcast for. And if it wasn't for you guys going out there, rating our podcast with five-star reviews, tweeting and favoriting, sharing this with your friends, families, enemies, we don't care. Get the ears on here. It allows us to offer some of those generous contests we do Is a way to show our appreciation for everything you guys mean to us. Uh, I don't want to take, put any words in your mouth, Payne, but uh, I know it means the world to us. Oh,
1: Absolutely, without questions, and, and I know we're not too like uh, soppy dudes, but it, it's it's much appreciated. Honestly, uh, our very first podcast, and I was thinking about this the other day. It was a train wreck. It was a mess. Talk about evolution. Just you know, it's, it, it's anything in life, right? The younger you are, you, you'll realize the older you get, you just you get more informed. Uh, you surround yourself with better information. You just get better at what you do. And we had like 400 listens on that initial podcast, and and now, uh, I would say this without question, uh, we are the most listened to gambling podcast that doesn't have distribution behind it, and we've we've turned down a lot of those deals for you guys, uh, right? We don't want these loaded with advertisements of shit. Who knows? Uh, you know. Come on, spong- you would be great for you'd be sponges. a great
2: for a me undies read or something ridiculous and yeah. off the wall.
1: Yeah. Um. And so it's 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 your guys' support that's propelled it to this to this level, right? It's it's shocking um, when you sit there and and you look at iTunes after you release a podcast and you are competing with uh, the largest entities in the world. It's it, it's pretty wild to see. So that that's all thanks to you guys. We appreciate it greatly. It's why we do this. So uh, it's been a good year. It's been a profitable year. Hasn't been our best year, but it nope. It was it was profitable, and I, I joked around. It was a shit sandwich. We had that perfect ciabatta bread. The the beginning of the season started fantastic. Uh, we had some stale meat in the middle, and then we've ended it with a with a nice little hoorah.
2: Try and take full advantage of the ebbs and flows that the gambling business provides. But rest assured, uh, it's not done for good. We'll be back in early March for all you college basketball junkies that are out there. So mark your calendars. Follow BetTheBoard on Twitter uh, as we'll have all our updates and love to interact with you guys even as we go through the dog days of February in anticipation of March Madness. Follow Dave Mason on Twitter, at DaveMasonBOL. Follow Pain Insider there. I am Todd Furman. Again, five-star reviews always appreciated. We'll have the social media contest available for you. Not one, not two, but three potential entries for you to have even more ways to get involved in all the fun. And print those sheets, share them with your friends, try and take full advantage of the myriad of gambling and wagering opportunities that are at your fingertips for the Super Bowl. So for Dave Mason, for Pain Insider, I am, of course, Todd Furman. Best of luck with all of your Super Bowl investments. And come Sunday evening, we'll see you at the window.
0: terms apply, visit go.amex slash you know business.